As uh, some of you know, I've spent about a third of my lifespan living in Manhattan. I arrived there in the middle to late 1980s. And when I arrived, I was confronted with some rather stark new realities. This suburban boy wasn't quite ready for everything that he was to experience there in the big city. There was the crush of humanity on all sides, the basic hustle and bustle of a town that never sleeps. And amidst it all, one thing really stood out for me, the poverty of so many, which was a presence at each and every turn. For all my 18 years in Manhattan, I learned, like many New Yorkers, to slowly adopt the studied ways of the city, almost as a defense mechanism. Look no one in the eye, hurry down your path to your destination with blinders on, and take no notice of other people as you did so. Now, that may have worked well for the teeming masses around me each and every day, but it always seemed like a bit of a challenge to me. Doing that was hard for me. And perhaps the worst place for this to happen was the subway. I had plenty of encounters on the subway where these rules, the rules of urban living, never quite got followed. There was the one Good Friday where I had taken a trip up to the medical school campus of Columbia University and was on my way back down to home when I got punched out by a man who noticed an errant glance in his direction by me. And he started grumbling about this and decided he'd land a good hard punch in my face to leave me with a nice bloody nose. Or there was the time on the subway when I had an encounter with a homeless woman and a drunk man. And it was pretty horrific. The woman was clearly someone living on the streets, someone in dire and desperate need not fully able to be in charge of herself in the moment. And as we lurched around a corner on that subway train, as she held the pole, she shifted a little too much, unsteady on her feet, and she bumped in to this man sitting there on the seats. He was furious. And as he started to yell and scream at the woman for this great offense of bumping into him, I could smell the alcohol on his breath, so I knew that his rant was fueled not just by righteous anger, but also alcohol. He then launched at her, flailing at her with feet and hands to kick and pummel this woman because she had offended him so greatly with a simple bump when she lost her footing. This would be hard to block out and put blinders on for me, and I simply there, sitting across the row from him, said, why don't you just leave her alone? And he fell silent. He stopped his attack. And the woman, to her credit, escaped and went to another subway car. But now the man's anger was fusing right on me. He wanted 
to let his anger be known. And he sat there for the whole rest of the trip, grumbling about me, a white man, a blonde-haired, blue-eyed white man, who he complained about incessantly, having so much as raised my voice to him to stop this horrific attack. Now, I tell you these stories not because I'm trying to extol the virtues of my living or anything that I might have done to put me in a place of righteousness, but rather as an entryway in to thinking about the parable we hear of Lazarus and the rich man today. I think the parable we get in Luke challenges all of the societal norms that we hold so near and dear. And in it, we're offered a bit of an object lesson in discipleship by Jesus, which truly turns all of our assumptions about how God works and the relationships we have with our wealth, our status and privilege and each other on their heads. This parable story, which is unique to Luke's gospel, invites us to contemplate some new realities. An unexpected reversal at the outset of the parable might be lost on us, but it does have some significance. The beggar is given a name, Lazarus, while the rich man is never named. That single fact ought to alert us that the story Jesus is about to tell is going to have some surprises in it. All of the old biblical assumptions that wealth and prosperity are a sign of righteousness and favor from God, while suffering, illness, and poverty are likewise a curse from God, well, they are crushed when Jesus tells this story. It is, after all, downtrodden Lazarus who triumphs in the afterlife, not the rich man. So I did share with you some of my own experience, pondering my own way of life as a disciple of Jesus. Because I think it is a very human condition and a very human response that we make in this world that New York mentality to the world around us. We're basically hardwired to seek our own personal safety, our security and well-being, first and foremost. Maintaining a chasm between ourselves and those less fortunate is simply part of the mechanism we adopt to do that. And it's that chasm between us and others that Jesus challenges when he speaks to us this morning. In the parable we've just heard, that chasm was fixed a long, long time ago and reinforced every time the rich man came and went into his palatial home to feast at his rich table and choose every trip he made to ignore Lazarus. He obviously knew Lazarus was there and understood something about his plight because he knows Lazarus by name. Yet, he did nothing. 
Even in the afterlife, the rich man continues to treat Lazarus as a non-entity, a mere servant who should serve his needs, like fetch him some water or go as a messenger to my brothers to warn them. In both his earthly life and in the life to come, the rich man simply refuses to see Lazarus as a person, a human being, a fellow child of God and so ignores him and his plight. Deep down, I don't think this parable is about earning an eternal reward in the afterlife. It's about the character and quality of our life lived right now. One might even argue that for Luke, eternal life isn't a distant reality at all, but rather starts in the here and now, every time we embrace the abundant life God offers in and through those around us. It is an invitation to live into fuller, more meaningful, and more joyous life by sharing of ourselves, our time, our talents, and certainly our wealth with those around us. And to do so, without hesitation. Jesus warns us today of the dangers of seeing others as less than who God created them to be. Are we listening? Are we looking for the image of God that dwells within each and every one of us? <clears throat> Abundant life and the Spirit calls us to that new way of life, one that puts behind us the self-centered ways that so often bind us. <clears throat> May we reach ourselves out, take the blinders off, be willing to see the children of God in their fullness. And as the author of 1 Timothy writes, be able to do good, to be rich in good works, generous and ready to share, storing up for ourselves the treasures of a good foundation for the future so that we may take hold of the life that really is life. Amen. <clears throat>